Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> to talk to you, Angie. Thank you for Yes. Maftone. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to be giving you all the exact SEO guidelines that I have all of our writers follow. Um, marketer's favorite term, it depends. Sometimes blog posts are significantly shorter. Sometimes it depends on who we're writing for. Sometimes it's our own blog post. Sometimes we're rewriting blog posts. But uh, so uh, we're going to go on the basis here of I'm writing a brand new piece of content. I'm giving it to a writer. I'm giving them what I usually provide them is a working title, a description, very short, couple sentences of like, here's what we're thinking. If I already know what I want them to talk about, I'll give them some bullet points of like, hit this, hit this, hit this. Uh, and then I'll give them the keyword, obviously, that I want to go after. Um, and then I'll usually give them the top three to five best articles that I was able to find for that specific keyword. So A, you know, use these articles to... Um, get some information b don't link back to these articles because obviously i want to try to beat them and then uh c make sure that whatever it is you're writing is better than those so i have my my guidelines here so provide them all that stuff there's gonna be a lot of stuff i say here too by the way where everyone's like oh that's bullshit you don't have to do that well bite me you don't it's true the length of an article does not mean what it once did. However, I find that an article that is 1,200 words or less is not providing as much value as it needs to. Now, if the article is being written and my writer goes, look, I've written everything. This is as far as I can get. It's about 1,000 words and I can definitely reach 1,200, but it's going to be fluffy. Then no, don't force it. But 1,200 words or more. Uh two h2 tags right so your main title is h1 two like main categories of breaking up the article two h2 tags uh three h3 tags at a minimum um so four plus inbound links uh or internal links whatever you guys want to call them to either a product or a service um whatever it is the company offers or for us if it's our own thing four of those need to go to like an about page or our services page or contact us or anything like that then two, um, no, I'm sorry, three other inbound links to other articles. So other articles we wrote. So if I'm doing blog posts and I have another blog with how-tos or even marketing interruption or something like that, they need to link over to um, those specific blog posts. So we're looking at about a total of seven minimum internal links. Then five outbound links, non-competitor, um, can only go to like stats, data, things like that, stuff that we are able to clarify. Need to make sure that the words that are actually being linked are relevant to whatever that article is about. Um, obviously, shouldn't link to a competitor, which I think I just said. And then um, always has to open up a new window. So that's something that I always find most people we end up working with haven't done. It's, it's very small. It's nothing compared to other stuff that you should be doing, obviously. But... If I click on a link and I want to go see more information, most of the time what will happen, at least when I'm reading, 
is someone will reference a stat and I'll go, that's interesting. I'd love to read more about that. I'll click it. It'll open up a new tab and I'll go back to the old tab to finish the article and then do my own follow-up research. If that, ta- if that link opens up and changes the tab I'm on, I get pissed because I'm always like, great, now I gotta go hunt it back. So always have it open up a new tab. Um, even uh, internal ones should also open, open up a new tab. So then making sure that all the linked words uh, or anchor text are relevant, I just touched on that. Each main keyword is pr- as provided. So let's say, um, I can see my dog in the corner. So let's say we're doing um, golden retriever puppy as our uh, keyword. I want the words golden retriever puppy used two or three times in that order. Then uh, each individual, okay, so then six plus times, so six or more times, I want the words golden retriever and puppy used at a minimum. So they need to go through and make sure that excluding the golden retriever puppy keyword, six other times they mentioned puppy, and then six other times, you're probably not going to separate them. So maybe golden retriever was mentioned. So this is, you're, you're not keyword stuffing. Do not keyword stuff. It obviously needs to be placed correctly. If for some reason my writer comes back and goes, oh, I almost only have used it four times. It's totally fine. That's it. Um, and then that's it. So that's our SEO guidelines. Those are the ones I always follow. Again, kind of depends. Sometimes they can be longer. Sometimes they need more H2 tags. Sometimes they need less. Obviously, you need to do what's best for the article and make sure that you're providing value. I've done this with many, many clients at this point and have yet for it to fail for me. Even as Google has made its changes, we have always usually come out on top when they do. Google search ads to drive uh, more leads and shoppers. So obviously I cater more to e-commerce. So leads in this case could be um, driving them to some kind of gated content. So maybe you did an ebook, which yes, you can for e-commerce, which I'll get to in another time. But so we're gonna go right into this. First thing I always fight, branded search terms. Absolutely bid on them. I don't care if none of your competitors are bidding on you. You always, you don't want to be surprised to find out that a competitor all of a sudden started bidding on you. You're going to pay arguably nothing per click. You're going to get a ridiculous conversion rate. The amount of money you're going to spend to pay for someone else to click on your own brand name is totally worth it. It's fine. So run a campaign for your own branded keywords. Um, so always test, right? Even your branded stuff. So even when you do different ad groups, you have different keywords, you have different copy that you're using, different description, different title, all that fun stuff, different landing page, test all that stuff. So in, um, uh, what is it called? Drafts and experiments, set that up, always run AB tests, set it up so that once one is determined, let it run. I probably set up a test on a usually about a weekly basis, maybe every other week, I'll test something out and I'll just go, screw it, I'm testing this one and then one will win and then I'll test that one again. And it's just, a, it's constant improvement. Um, so create ad groups with relevant keywords in the copy being used. So if you have a bunch of different things that you're going after, you gotta think of the variations of that keyword and then make ad groups for that so that you can have specific copy for that. So, um, as usual, my dog's here. So golden retriever puppy toys um, versus golden retriever squeak toys. I might want to have an ad group for more general 
uh, puppy toys and then an ad group for more general squeak related toys and make sure that I use the word squeak in there. Um, so breaking ad groups into, I have my notes here, so bear with me, Break, breaking ad groups into discovery keywords with broad, okay, so, so we created those ad groups, right? So let's do um, golden retriever squeak toys. And that what I'm going to do is those keywords that are that are kind of more broad. I'm going to keep that in their own separate ad group of a broad and phrase. I like to keep the broad and phrase together. It's who I am. Um, once I see that one of those specific search terms keeps showing up and is doing well, I will negate it in that broad and phrase match ad group, bring it into an exact match, run it there, and jack that bit up. If it starts to do really well, I'll make my own campaign put that ad group into that campaign of like success ad groups and jack that budget up so that I have room to run. Um, Cause the broaden phrase you'll usually want to limit just in case you get a bunch of crap in there. Um, use everything you have available, every friggin' thing in there. I go in there sometimes I go, why didn't you use this? There's ad extensions. So, you know, call outs and, and uh, call extensions and any other option you can have all the e-commerce sellers. You now have the option to put like your price into the search, um, there's like a little box that comes under the uh, description with some of your products. And I think it shows like three or four and it can actually swipe and you can actually put your price in there now. Oh, so the responsive and dynamic ads, uh, the dynamic ones work similar to shopping. So you kind of, with shopping, you give them a product and then keywords just kind of show up and you negate them. In dynamic ads for search terms, it's the same thing. You give them a URL and it shows for what it thinks you need to show for and then you start to negate them. So it's the same process, test it. There's been a lot of times where I've had great success with those, and there's been times where I haven't. The uh, responsive ones are great. I always have success with those. That is basically, you write like 15 different titles and 15 different descriptions, and Google just kind of picks whichever one it thinks is gonna work the best based on whatever you're targeting. Then, so, oh, okay. So specifically for e-commerce sellers, use your shopping uh, data that you have, your shop, your shopping ads. So. You'll, you'll run your shopping ads, right? You're always going to narrow it down to whichever keywords are doing the best. Once you figure out those keywords that are probably in your low um, priority campaign, take those keywords, put them into a search group, uh, a search ad, and create a search ad with that so that you're owning the first spot on the shopping ads, but then you're also owning the first, shot, uh, first spot for the search ads. If you're owning the first spot for shopping ads, a lot of people are like, why do I need to also do it for search ads? Not everyone uses those. Um, some people aren't as visual as you would think. You'll actually see, um, and I've had this happen a lot, where the search ads will actually end up doing better than the shopping ads if you do that. And you just want to own as much real estate as you can. Then bidding, I prefer to use CPC enhanced, um, so where they fluctuate the bid based on what they think is going to work well. Um, I'm not a fan of conversion uh, targeting or target CPA or anything like that. I don't like any of those. I don't have enough control. I check my search and my shopping ads on a daily basis and go through and clean out any uh, keywords that I don't want. So when I'm that uh, controlled on what I'm doing, I don't need Google's help with the conversion thing, and I also find that I've not really had much success with it. Doesn't mean you won't. You can obviously try it, but I've had more success with the CPC. Then uh, the last, so last thing I wanted to mention was search ads work for everyone. I've heard so many times people will tell me like, "Oh, search ads don't work for us. We only work well with shopping ads or something like that." You're sending, you're not testing enough. You're not sending them the right landing page. 
you're not thinking about where that person is when they're shopping. So my suggestion would be you're definitely need to continue trying search ads until you can figure it out. Um, so obviously I want to feature a tool. Uh, today I'm going to feature Uber Suggest. So shout out to Neil Patel for that. I love Uber Suggest. It is amazing because you can just plug in your competitor's uh, URL and get all the keywords that they rank for, all their top pages, all that kind of stuff. Nine times out of ten, I'll just take that URL, drop it into Uber Suggestion, and go give me all those keywords, and I'll just go run a bit against them. But. I'm probably gonna get a little heated because this one this this one pisses me off. So I'm talking about the like super hyper ultra mega targeted keyword search query funneling bullshit that agencies brag about. So obviously as an agency, I will say that we do this and I will say that we don't have a fancy term for it. We just call it our shopping campaign strategy. Um, but I've heard some ridiculous names for this, which honestly is the correct way to run Google shopping ads. So you don't really need to give it a fancy name, but I digress. Um, so here's how this is done, right? So you're going to start with a high priority campaign and a medium priority campaign. Then you're going to take a product line that is very similar to itself. So you're not going to question the search terms that are showing up. So Again, I film a bunch of these at once, and my dog's just been laying there the whole time. So we're going to do dog toys. So I have Golden Retriever-specific dog toys that I'm running, right? So I'm going to have a high-priority and a medium-priority campaign with all my specific Golden Retriever dog toys so that when, when an ad shows up, or I'm sorry, when a search term shows up, I'll know these are all my Golden Retriever dog toys. If they're not searching something like that, it's not a keyword I want. So you have your high priority, medium priority. High priority's gotta have a decent budget. Doesn't have to be massive, but you're gonna get a lot of broad stuff. You're gonna get a lot of crap in there. This is where you're doing your discovery, your searching. Your medium priority, you're gonna have a little bit more success. So you're gonna have those bids a little bit higher and you're gonna wanna give some room on that budget. So basically what's gonna happen is, let's say um, we're doing uh, branded keywords. So. Andrew's dog toys probably isn't good because it's kind of a bad brand name. But let's let's say it's Blue Tusker, right? So we have Blue Tusker Golden Retriever dog toys. So if someone searches Blue Tusker dog toy, it's going to show up in my high priority. Priority. I'm going to negate that keyword, which will cause it to drop down into the medium priority. So now it's going to show up in the medium priority. So next time someone searches Blue Tusker dog toys, it's going to show up in the medium priority. I have that bid up higher now, so I'm going to start to own that keyword. As those start to do well, you're going to constantly just negate things out of the high priority. This is why your high priority, you're going to want to keep that budget relatively low and you're going to keep those bids relatively low because it can definitely get out of hand. And once you get it to running really, really well, you're going to want to keep that CPC as low as possible in the high priority because you're basically going to take all the good stuff and move it down into the medium priority. So now by then, all of your branded keywords are in the medium priority and all of your top performing keywords are in the medium priority. Then you're gonna replicate the same concept. So if it starts to do well in the medium priority, let's say you have some really better performing branded keywords and you have some really better performing just more general keywords and they do really well. You're gonna negate those and you're gonna drop those into a low priority. So usually what I'll do is I'll create a high and a medium priority and let it bake, get my data in. If you've ever done this before, 
And then after I've gotten my data, I'm ready for it. Then I will create my low priority. That one, big budget, big bids own these keywords. So this is basically that funnel concept that these agencies brag about. So you've basically gotten this keyword down to this low priority, you've jacked it up. And now you'll see over time in that low priority campaign, that's the only keyword that's in there. It's the only thing you're bidding on. So that's how they specifically bid on these one individual keywords. And as you just start to shove more and more keywords down into the funnel, it works down there. Um, so Obviously, the only other side of this is you need to make sure that you're always adjusting your day, time, state, audience, device, uh, all that stuff. You need to make sure that you're adjusting those bids. I like to do that on close to a monthly basis. It kind of depends on the size of the account. If I'm getting a ton of data uh, often and we're spending a good amount of money, I'll usually do it every couple weeks. Um, but usually slightly newer ones where they're spending like maybe 10K or less-ish a month. I'll do it just once a month. Um, that's all I wanted to talk about today. Uh, and then I'm going to feature Google Merchant Center just because I know it's kind of a tool. Uh, to me, it still counts as a tool. A lot of shopping ads, uh, people say that, oh, they don't work well for me. That's not true. They work well for all e-commerce sellers. You just have to really narrow down that uh, keyword that you're going after. But the one thing I've learned is that a lot of people will just shove their stuff into Merchant Center and let it go straight to ads and they don't optimize it at all. So you need to go into Merchant Center and set up reviews, uh, set up promotions if you can. If you offer free shipping, make sure that that's mentioned, but make sure that you optimize everything you can in Merchant Center. Um, but that's everything I was going to talk about today. Thank you for tuning in to the Ecom Show. Head over to ecomshow.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or on the Blue Tusker YouTube channel. The Ecom Show is brought to you by Blue Tusker a full-service digital marketing company specifically for e-commerce sellers looking to accelerate their growth. Go to bluetusker.com now for more information. Make sure to tune in next week for another amazing episode of The Ecom Show.